The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 525, a palindromic Mac Geek Gab, here for Sunday, October 26th, 2014. folks and welcome to the mac observers mac geek cab the show where you send in your questions cool stuff found and tips we share your cool stuff found questions and tips we try to answer the questions we add some clarity to the uh the tips if necessary and uh the goal is for all of us to have a an absolute blast when we get together and learn something not necessarily in that order usually together combined our sponsor for this show is Squarespace at squarespace.com slash MGG. Coupon code MGG there at Squarespace gets you 10% off of your first order. We'll talk more about that during the show. So make sure you check them out here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Fairville, Connecticut, John Fraun. That's what you think. Yeah. I mean, are you sure you're in Fairfield, Connecticut? Absolutely. Okay. Well, that's good. That's good. Are you there when the, our our listeners are listening to this? So you can't you can't be certain of that. You were in Fairfield, Connecticut, but whether yeah, it won't you be in a couple hours, right? That's right. Uh, you're going to uh, Idaho this afternoon, John. Is that right? No. Oh, a fam- family event. A family another, event. Another okay. another town. Ah, yes. Gotcha. Well, good. So uh, this has been an interesting week, John. Uh, It's been a lot. There's been a lot of Apple stuff going on, right? Um, Over the last several weeks, we've had, uh, in fact, over the last month and a half, it's been kind of crazy, right? We had the new phones announced, then finally released. And then um, uh, then there was new iPads released, obviously, which we talked about and all of that stuff. But along with that came some software releases, too. And the software releases, of course, bring lots and lots of new features. Um, and specifically, I'm talking about both OS 10 Yosemite and iOS 8.1. iOS 8.1 really delivers on what the promises of iOS 8 were made at WWDC back in June, right? Without iOS 8.1, iOS 8 was sort of a an interim release, if you will. Uh, it works, worked, but... Um, didn't have everything. And, and specifically one of the things that, that came out on Monday finally released into the hands of the public was Apple pay Apple's NFC based uh, payment system where you simply wave your, your iPhone. Uh, you, you add your credit cards to your, to your Apple pay account and then you wave your iPhone and, and uh, near the payment. Your iPhone six or six plus. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. I'm, I'm, not going to be able to join in on the fun with my five S right, right. Well, so you could uh, five and five S owners in theory will be able to use Apple pay. If you pair your phone with an Apple watch, because the Apple watch will have an NFC uh, chip in it for that. That will be usable for Apple pay. Right. Yeah. I remember they mentioned that. Okay. Right. That's neat. So there's right. So there's, there's some things here, but yes, for the most part, it's for those of us that have sixes and six pluses. So, um, when when Apple Pay, you know, when 8.1 came out, I went in and, and enabled Apple Pay. And it's um, 
Uh, we're not going to go through all the, the, the steps. It's fairly straightforward. There are one of two ways you can do it. You can get to Apple Pay in settings. Uh, in the settings app, you just go to settings and then it's in Passbook and Apple Pay. Apple Pay is what that's called. Um, or you can just get there from the Passbook app itself. There is one thing that you can do in the settings app that you cannot do in the in Passbook. And that is setting your transaction defaults. Not only can you set your billing address and shipping address and email uh, and phone, you get to select a default card, the one that automatically is offered when you go use Apple Pay. And that's a that's actually a handy thing. So so you probably want to make at least one trip in there. Um, but, you know, you set up your cards and, and you got to go through a uh, an activation process, John, uh, with each card. And they're all different for one of them. I had to make a phone call and talk to my bank. And then they it was funny. I did it you know, that day. It was like 11 o'clock at night here on the East coast. And, uh, I added one of my, my bank of America credit cards and I had to call and the woman, the woman answered the phone. She's like, hi, this is crystal. Thanks for calling the uh, bank of, uh, Apple America pay activation. So you could tell she was like totally frazzled and, you know, on day one with, with all this stuff. <laughs> and, uh, it, what, what's one thing that I will talk about with the setup process. Cause it, it actually helped that phone call. And the woman was ever so thankful. Um, because she didn't have to walk me through it because I'd seen it with others. Once you add a card to this, it actually generates uh, what they call a device account number. They talked about this in the keynote, but this is a, a separate number issued by your credit card company only to that particular device. So if you happen to have multiple devices that would use Apple pay, they will get different numbers. This is a car. This is essentially a duplicate of your credit card number, uh, but it's not the same number. The de- and the device account number is in there when you tap on the card, either in settings or in passbook. If uh, and they needed that on the phone to to verify it, but a merchant, if they ask you, sometimes you know they they say, "Oh, I need the last four digits of your card." This is what they're asking for. They're not asking for the last four digits of your card number. They're asking for the last four digits of the device account number because that's what was shared with the NFC terminal. So just a handy thing to keep in mind. And then I got to use Apple Pay, John. I finally found a place on Thursday where I could use it. You want to know where that was? Where? Rite Aid. Believe it or not, it was. this was right before the... the so there's been some news about Rite Aid. Um, and it, it was literally minutes between when I used this at Rite Aid. I, I, went to, I went there. I knew Rite Aid wasn't on Apple's approved list. But, but there's the little NFC icon, which kind of looks like an airport logo um, on its side. And then like a little card thing or a hand thing. It's um, it's it's worth going to Apple site and we'll, we'll tweet out a picture of it or something. But, you know, I saw it and I'm like, well, let me see what happens. And so I just waved my phone up near the terminal. And sure enough, my phone went into action and it said, pick a credit card. And it showed me my default one. And it said, if, if, this, if you're happy with this, float your thumb over the touch ID sensor and you're done. And I was done. That was it. Um, very, very handy. But... Um, and, and no one at Rite Aid, uh, you know, everybody, they, they were all like, yeah, great. No problem. And then about five minutes later, we started getting emails from folks saying, hey, uh, Rite Aid has announced that they're not going to accept Apple Pay anymore. Have you heard about this, John? Oh, yes. So there's, uh, there's them ahead. and CVS. Yes, I've seen many tweets in my timeline with people threatening both Rite Aid and CVS with not giving them business because they are disabling 
Apple Pay for for what reason again is it? Dave? So here's the interesting <laughs> thing. They they are disabling Apple Pay, but they're not just disabling Apple Pay, right? And uh, they are disabling NFC from their terminals. So this means Google Wallet and you know all of that stuff goes away too. So the reason is they're part of um, this merchant credit exchange. Uh, it's called MCX. I'm I, the, the, the specifics of it fail me at the moment, but they're developing and it's not out yet. Let's be clear on this, but they're developing a system called current C C U R R E N T C that uh, re- requires you to launch a special app on your smartphone, which you can get, but unless you have an invite code, you're not, it's not going to work. And, and merchants probably near you don't support this yet anyway. So it doesn't matter, but um, you unlock your phone, you launch an app, you point your phone's camera at a QR code, and then presumably that initiates a transaction process. Why they're reinventing the wheel seems like a stupid thing. We've had NFC for a long time. We've just been wanting Apple to finally get on board with it. They finally get on board um, and all is good until currency and the, and the MCX say to their members, uh, Hey, uh, if you're going to participate in this, you cannot participate in any other mobile payment um, uh, 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 process. So, the difference between the fundamental difference between Apple Pay and currency, aside from the UI for currency, even as described being a disaster, we have yet to even experience it. But as described compared to Apple Pay, I take my phone, I wave it, I touch the top, I touch ID sensor and the payment's finished with currency. I've got to take out my phone, unlock it, find the app, launch the app, point the camera at the QR code, aim the thing, wait till it focuses, takes the picture. Then at that point, I'm, maybe presented with the option to pay, but maybe also presented with coupons and other things that are going to get in the way of this process. And that's what currency is out there to do is uh, gives Apple pay, gives the merchants no personally identifiable, identifiable information. They cannot track that you were the same one that was in there yesterday. They can't do anything unless the merchant like Rite Aid has their own um, program, right? I mean, Rite Aid has their wellness points, right? And it is well worth it to us to participate in this. I give them my phone number, which is what I did with Apple Pay. I, I typed in my phone number into their system. Then I waved my magic phone and, and everything worked. Um, but I give them my phone number because they track our purchases. And for the in exchange for tracking our purchases, they give us pretty hefty discounts uh, because we shop there all the time. And we get all our prescriptions there and, and all that good stuff. So, um, you know, the merchants can do this anyway. But this currency thing is meant to further track people and and all of that. But what I really find interesting, John, is that this currency thing is not new. These people have signed on board for this quite a while ago. NFC is not new. And NFC being in their terminals is not new. And the customer's ability to use NFC in these stores is also not new. The only thing that's new this week is that Apple Pay joined the uh, allowed people to join uh, with iPhones to join this uh, the, the the ranks of those who can use NFC, and that was the thing that made them shut off NFC in all for all purchases, not just Apple Pay for everything, which is interesting. It tells me that Apple's probably doing something right. <laughs> um, if huh. you know what I mean, because a week ago. You couldn't use Apple Pay because we didn't have iOS 8.1 or devices, you know, depending, but uh, it was just not possible. 
but you could have used your Google phone to pay. And I'm sure plenty of people did. Um, but or now any other contactless card, like I told you, I have, right. I have two contactless cards that I've been using in contactless mode at, uh, not everywhere, but, but a lot of places have terminals that will, you know, uh, and I don't know if it's technically NFC, but it is a contactless technology. Right. So, so I guess they're disabling that as well, which, you know, okay. right. Yeah. It, I don't think this is going, I, I think, um, with, I think a week from now, this might be a different conversation, but certainly a year from now, this is going to be a different conversation. Some, somewhere between a week and a year from now, this the MCX partners are going to need to, to back down on this and not, and I don't say that just because of Apple pay. I say it because there's already infrastructure out there and it's coming everywhere. So I, I, you know, we'll see, we'll see. It, it sure will be interesting. So maybe you can't use your contacts, contactless cards at, uh, at Rite Aid or CVS or any of these. There's, there's like, I don't know, 50 or 60 merchant partners. Yeah, part I mean, there's the a few places I've, I've used it. Yeah. Uh, we have ShopRite, uh, McDonald's, right. uh, I think 7-Eleven. Um, you know, most major chains accepted it when, when they get their, you know, terminals upgraded. Right, right. So well, we'll see what happens. But yeah, to me, it's not wise to uh, not let people use their preferred method of payment. Yeah, it, it, what, what, what was the, what was it you said before, John, the, the, the phrase, um, uh, shut up and give me and, and let me give you my money. Oh, well, right. Fry from Futurama. I mean, right. Yeah, that, that was my reaction. You know, the, the, the I mean, overwhelmingly, everybody I saw in my, my Twitter feed was basically saying this is that this is this is great. This is awesome. I love it. Shut up and take my money. And right. It shows, you know, Fry with a fistful of money, you know, throwing it at somebody. <laughs> yeah, I, I've I, you know, this is not new. We've seen this before. I mean, I've I've ranted about this before. Long before Mac Geek Cab ever existed, you know, I'm in a store. I want to buy like a TV or something and nobody wants to pay attention to you. It's like, well, <laughs> what do I need to do? How, how do I get yeah. you to take my I know what TV I want. I know. And, and so Amazon showed up. Right. And fixed that problem. Shut up and take my money. Great. Perfect. And Amazon takes a lot of my money. Right. Apple is in the shut up and take my money business. They're not in the collect my personal information business, which is kind of a good thing. But they are in the shut up and take my money business. And, and there are a lot of people uh, that subscribe to that particular philosophy. Shut up and let Apple take my money. And um, Apple, you know, with Apple pay, it's all, I'm not, this is going to sound ridiculous and I don't actually believe this, but it, it's almost like Apple is saying to the world, Hey, uh, we have a lot of people that uh, just tell up, shut up and shut us, uh, tell us, shut up and take my money. Um, we want to extend that to you. These are our fine merchants here. And uh, and so now you can benefit from the Apple uh, user ethos of shut up and take my money. And yet some of these people are walking away from it. I don't know why. Not everybody's going to use Apple Pay. Not everybody's going to use NFC in general. In fact, I, I think it would be a long time before the majority of people are using NFC. Um, I, you know, I don't think this is a huge um, chunk of the market, but I think it's a representative chunk and an important chunk of the market. And that's where, um, that's where I think these people are making a mistake. Sure. Use your currency thing and do with it. What Rite Aid does like, like with their wellness points and, and track my purchases that way. And I, I am opting in every single time. If I want to be anonymous, if I'm uh, you know, I, 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 
I'm sure I could think of a, a, a scenario where this might happen. But if I was buying something and I didn't want Rite Aid's computers to track me, I could walk in there and buy something with cash. And when they asked, do you have a wellness card number? I could say no. And then boom, I don't get tracked. It's almost the same with Apple Pay, except it is being billed to my credit card. So that would be tracked, but not by Rite Aid specifically. So I don't know. It's nuts. So, John, it's crazy. We'll see. It's going to be interesting. So iOS 8.1, though, back to that, unless there's more on this. Are we good on this? We're good. All right. Uh, iOS 8.1 brings in a couple other things. Uh, continuity kind of bringing, bringing the, uh, the big one uh, with iOS 8.1. Have you, how much of continuity have you used? Continuity being the feature that allows you to have a seamless experience from one Apple device to the next, I think is probably the best way I can say that. Mm-hmm. Have, um, you, have you used it? Handoff. I've had handoff work and that, you know, if I do a, a browsing session or a email on an iOS device, uh, or the other way around, either direction. Uh, so, you know, uh, certain Apple apps, uh, if you start something on one, you'll get an icon on the others that will allow you to pick it up. So I think that's pretty slick. So that's handoff. Now, so I've been using that portion. And then the other portion that I noticed once I upgraded to 8.1 is when I got a phone call, all of a sudden I got a FaceTime call on my, uh, my shiny new uh, MacBook Pro. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Okay, let's change that ringtone. <laughs> yeah. Now, it, that's, at first I was like, what is that sound? I, I haven't defined anything that makes that noise. What, what is this? No, that's that's a great thing because I had exactly the same experience. Um, you know, I use Skype all the time on on my Mac right uh, in the office. But I have set two things in Skype. I've set a very short ringtone and I've set it not to repeat because if I'm at my desk, I will hear it ring and I will either answer it or not. But let's say I'm on a, a phone call. I don't need it to keep ringing on my Skype. I, it's like, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to ignore this one. I'm on the phone. I don't need to go press a button to, to indicate that intent with FaceTime, which is effectively what happens. You, you get a FaceTime call when your phone rings, if you're, if you're paired up like this. And by the way, you're automatically paired up like this. If you're signed into the same iCloud account, you do not need to do anything to be paired up, but yeah. So what ringtone did you change yours to? Cause I can't get it to stop repeating. And, uh, and so it's, it's a, it's a, and if I do decide to answer on my phone, my computer still rings for like another couple of seconds before it all kind of syncs up and, and figures it out. So, um, what is the, uh, what, what, what ringtone have you chosen or did you make one? Um, bringing it up right now. Okay. It's, uh, taking a while hmm. as, as things tend to. Especially when you need them to come up right away. Right. <laughs> like when you're doing a oh, podcast. I think I got to get more RAM. I got to get more RAM for this thing. Ah, uh, yes. I yes. forget, but I made it something that was, uh, you know, like beep, 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 beep. You know, just okay. a little beep here. Ah, hold on. Here we go. Okay. Finally came up. So FaceTime preferences. Uh, I picked Signal. Okay. Yeah. But, but it, it, it keeps going, right? Yeah, yeah I hear that. I hear it in the background there. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, whatever pick by default was uh, way too jarring for me. So. Okay. <laughs> and of course, I guess you could pick none if you want to. Can you? Huh. <sighs> you know what? Actually, someone asked that question. I don't believe there is a none option. I believe you have to choose a. You have to choose tone. something. That's right. Oh, that's not very nice. No. 
It's We're not. We're going to have to hack away at that because I'm sure these sounds are stored somewhere and I'm sure you can make a sound called none. <laughs> well, yeah, no, you definitely can. You can use a custom ringtone. That's not an issue. But um, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It's going to be, um, uh, hopefully, hopefully that part gets fixed. But so, uh, so you've used that. Now you've used, uh, you've used handoff with other things too, right? Have, have you used uh, um, where you open a web browser session on one or start an email on one and then, and then bounce it off to the yeah. other? Yeah. I just, I just mentioned that a couple I, minutes ago. I, I know. <laughs> I, I want to talk about this. So it, it, what devices are you able to do that with? Oh, uh, my MacBook Pro 2012, my okay. iPad Air and my iPhone 5S. Not my mini because I'm running Mavericks currently. Well, but not just because you're running Mavericks currently, right? Your mini won't ever do that. Right, because it doesn't have the, uh, because Bluetooth is a integral part of that, I guess, right? Yeah. Bluetooth uh, low energy. Yeah. Now, I, 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 had, I had thought, in fact, I know that my uh, 2011 MacBook Air has the right Bluetooth chip in it, but it does not appear to work. In fact, I haven't been able to make it work, and it doesn't appear on yeah. Apple's lists as the thing that will support that. It will allow me to do the the calling, though. It just won't allow me to hand off uh, documents and such, which is interesting. I've, you know, I've noticed that it doesn't always uh, take hold. Okay. Sometimes there's a delay. I don't know if, if the, the inner tubes are clogged, but I've I've had cases where, yeah, I had something on the MacBook and then I tried to look for it. So typically what you'll do, what I'll see is you'll, you know, double click or or at least the way I'd bring it up is if you double click on the home button, if there's something willing to do a handoff to you, you'll then see a, an additional window with the name of that machine. Right. On, on your iOS device. Yeah. Right. Uh, sometimes that wouldn't happen immediately. So. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's 2012, basically 2012 max and later from, uh, from what I understand. Right. And, yeah, and there's I'm, an article somewhere that, that goes into great detail. Let me see if I can find that. Nah, yeah, Michael King in the uh, chat room. I'll say hi to everyone in the chat room at MacGeekGab.com slash stream. But uh, he is saying that there is a terminal hack that will let you do it on machines that have the right Bluetooth hardware, as I believe mine does, but is not blessed out of the gate by Apple uh, for being able to do this. That That's awesome. I will, I will, I will hunt for that, Michael. Thank you. So, yeah, very interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. Here's the article. You can. Uh, yeah. It's, it's largely uh, 2012 and 2013 machines. Mm -hmm. but, um, I will pop that in there for our Sweet. crowd here. Sweet. Yeah. That's you're always so good with that. Uh, finding those knowledge base articles. Well, we'll put that in the show notes for you. So awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Phone calling uh, works amongst them. And actually, the other night I. Um, I had, I don't know why I'd grab my iPad mini and my, my phone was upstairs uh, next to the bed. Maybe I was charging or something and I was messing around and we were trying to figure out where to go out to dinner. We just had our, our, uh, our two to the fourth and a wedding anniversary. So uh, we went out, went out for dinner. We actually had the kids with us, which was kind of fun, um, but we were looking for a place to go and I found this place and um, they didn't have an open table kind of thing. You know, you have to call them to make reservations old school. And it was like 11 o'clock at night and I knew that they were closed. It was like Wednesday night or something, but I'm on my iPad and I'm like, oh, I got to remember to call him tomorrow. And Lisa's like, well, why don't you just leave him a message? Like, yeah, but okay. You know, my phone is like, oh, wait a minute. My phone's upstairs, but that's okay. 
And I hit the phone number right there on my iPad and it said, you know, call. And I'm like, sure, call. And it came out calling with your iPhone. And, uh, and sure enough, worked great. Uh, which I didn't, I mean, I didn't expect any problems with it, but it, it's, it's an interesting, you know, it sort of blurs the lines between all these devices, which is, which is what it's supposed to do. Very, uh, very good stuff. Fun. Um, what else with iOS 8.1? Uh, I, I, SMS relay is part of this continuity thing, John, right? Uh, where you get to see and send text messages from people that are not iMessage users on your non-phone devices, right? Up until now, phones were the only thing that could send and receive SMS, which is the kind of standard text messaging. And it's still true that your phone is the only thing that can send and receive it. But with continuity, it will relay those to and from your Mac. But unlike phone, unlike the phone to FaceTime link, SMS relay is not set up automatically. Now, when I installed Yosemite, um, I installed it uh, last weekend. It did not offer to set up SMS relay. I had to do it manually. When I set it up on Lisa's machine four days later, it came up and offered to set up uh, relay for me. And, and what happens, you just need to uh, go onto your iPhone into settings uh, messages and set up text message relay. And uh, it's right in there. And we'll put an article in the notes that kind of walks you through it, but then you, it'll show you your devices that are on capable machines or on capable operating systems. And you flip the switch that say, yes, I want SMS relay to that one. And then that device will pop up a screen with a, a six digit code that you then need to enter on your phone to confirm that, yes, these two devices are okay to communicate. And, and then SMS relay works and you get green message bubble people on your Mac. And that's a great thing, but your phone has to be nearby. It's not, uh, it's not just magic. You, your phone is the, is the link. So, but it is handy. Did you turn that on, John? Just did. Just did. All right. Have you have you tested it at all? No, I'm a I'm on a per message basis here. So oh, seriously? Ah. Well, it didn't uh, for for the plan that I have. It it uh, yeah, I, I I didn't opt for the because uh, I don't do a lot of texting. I messaging, yeah, some texting, sure, but it's 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 less expensive with the amount that I do to just pay per message rather than buy a, a messaging plan. Right. I'm pretty sure I could change it if I want to. Verizon's pretty good about letting you tweak your plan. Have you looked into their next plans as an, as a tangential aside? Uh, I've read the documentation on it, but uh, nothing beyond that. No. Does it make? I mean, does it make financial sense for you to go to it? a lot? Of, I know with AT and T has their same thing. It's their next plan, and it basically doesn't make sense until you have at least two devices, maybe three, or two people, maybe three on it. Um, but I wasn't sure if Verizon's next pricing made sense for a, a, a solo. Um, I think consumer. it's very similar to what you mentioned. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to me, you know, it's, you know, do I finance it over, you know, a couple of years or do I just buy it outright? And I think it, it's probably a wash at least for a single device. Well, it, but it's also, so with AT&T, the next plans 
are, are twofold. One is this right where you're either financing your device or, um, or not. But the other is that we have totally different packages and minutes and data plans and all of that stuff. If you jump to the next thing and that's where it wound up saving us money was, was doing that, not even just the, the device financing. So it's worth looking into, but my guess is you might find that, um, single, you know, for a single user, it, it may not make sense, but I'd be curious what you find. Cause you might save some money. We saved quite a bit. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what else do we have here? We already talked about FaceTime. Have you, you, and I know this from the pre-show. So moving beyond continuity, um, iCloud photo library is, is something that you have not yet dove into. Um, it, it's it officially in beta status, which would, which with Apple is probably a fair moniker, right? They, they, they tend to call things beta when they mean that they're beta. Um, but, uh, but I yeah, turned it on. Made me a little nervous when I saw it in the iCloud tab and it says in parentheses beta. I'm like, um, you know, with, with all the trauma that a lot of us have experienced with the photo functionality, I was uh, not entirely willing to make yet another change until I, I was convinced that they fixed all the other stuff. Yeah. I, well, with, you know, with iPhoto or sorry, with, yeah, with iPhoto and effectively aperture going away, right? Um, and, and the new photos app coming, this, this is, this is the new normal, right. That that we're all going to get used to here. So I did, I turned on iCloud photo library, really what, what pushed me to do it. I had, um, some of us had the option of doing this, uh, a month or two ago. Right. And, and I happened to be one of those. I'm not sure why, but, uh, I chose not to turn it on at that point because, I wasn't exactly sure what it was going to do to my library and all this. And then when I got my iPhone six, the, my photos wouldn't photo stream was a disaster. It would download 189 photos from photo stream. And that was it. And then there was no camera roll and all that stuff. So with that, I finally decided, well, it's certainly not going to make it any worse. And I have obviously have backups of all my pictures and everything. So I turned on iCloud photo library and it's worked quite well. Um, you know, being able to just scroll through my library and, and see what I have. I've got plenty of iCloud storage. Um, so that, that part of it's been very interesting. Um, and it's, it's pretty seamless. It just, it's, it's one of those things. It just works. So I've been, I've been happy about that, but you're going to try it out, right? John, take, take yeah, one for the team here. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm curious. I don't want to take too many for the team. I'm, yeah, yeah. They should take some for me. Come on, team. I, We're a team, um, right? There's no I in team, is there? No, but there is a me if you rearrange yes. the letters to your <laughs> yes, to your liking. <laughs> uh, so um, I want to talk about some Yosemite tips that, that we found. But, John, speaking of taking one for the team, uh, you have gone through a tale of, of, of woe this week with your new to you uh, 2012 MacBook Pro, the the most easily upgradable Mac laptop ever, I think is is what we've dubbed that, right? Well, and, and to me, the last of the uh, easily user upgradable because um, right. So I got this, you know, from the refurb store. It is the non Retina MacBook 2012. Um, you know, wonderful to work on. Take the screws off, pull the bottom off. The battery is there and it looks user replaceable. The hard drive is there. The memory is there. And like I mentioned, I may want to, I think I'm running into some sluggishness because I only got four gigs in this. I'd like to get a bit more. I'll have to fix that. But 
Um, and initially I was running, uh, uh, Mavericks on it. You know, everything was great. Everything worked, uh, you know, as it should. Then I'm like, yeah, you know, let me, uh, let me upgrade it to, uh, Yosemite. And all of a sudden I started noticing some, uh, uh, unpleasant behavior. And then all of a sudden I would lose my Wi-Fi connection. I'm like, Hmm, uh, that's never happened before. Didn't happen on my 2008 and it didn't happen when I had this on, uh, on Mavericks. So I'm like, well, let's look on the console see if there's any anything in the console that could uh, tell me what's up here and oddly enough i kept seeing this same message uh from the kernel which is the guts of the operating system wl0 beacon loss event last rssi which is received signal strength indicator so so it gives a measure of and, and then what came after that was airport link down on en1 reason four disassociated due to inactivity what that's basically saying, it's basically saying, um, yeah, I decided to disconnect from Wi-Fi. <laughs> and it's like, uh, yeah, why, why are you doing that again? And uh, I couldn't reconnect. It, it, my base is listed in the, in the menu, got the latest firmware and all that. And I would try to reconnect and it said, oh, sorry, can't reconnect. Only way to reestablish the connection was to turn Wi-Fi off and then back on again. And, and it's very random. Like I'm looking here and I had three occurrences this morning, uh, almost like back to back. And now I've been running like two, three hours. And, and even last night I was running like two, three hours. Everything's fine. So I'm like, oh, you know what? Let me go to a, one of my favorite places to go, Dave, and probably yours as well. Um, supportprofile.apple.com. Why would you want to go there, you ask? Well, this is where you can register your uh, Apple purchases. Now, actually, I got this machine through um, a good friend of ours, uh, through a friend of his, uh, via friends and family. Uh, you can get a friends and family discount if you know uh, the right people at Apple. Um, now, initially, what I had to do, though, is I tried to register the machine. The thing is, because they purchased it, not me, although they used my you know, information, Sure, they actually had to unregister it from their support profile account. Because when I tried to register the machine, it said, oh, well, it's under another Apple ID. So that was taken care of and then everything's great. But now what's cool is I click on the machine and uh, you get a number of options here and it says coverage detail. It says, all right, well, we believe you purchased it on this date. Hey, you get 90 days of telephone technical support. And I'm like, well, oh, that's right. You do. Uh, and it also lists uh, repairs and service, you know, how long, you know, so right now it has a one year warranty, um, even though it's a refurb. And then uh, a button to uh, purchase Apple Care, which you could do within the first year that extends it to three years. But next to telephone technical support active, uh, there's a little button that says contact Apple support. And I'm like, well, okay, let me, let me do that. So yeah. you click on that button. And then what happens is they give you a number of options. And I think it was a uh, Friday night at nine o'clock and nine o'clock PM. Cause I'm a party animal that way. <laughs> and they say, um, all right, well, you know, what, what's, what's the issue? So I'm actually going through the steps again right now. And I said, well, it's internet and connectivity. And then they're like, uh, you know, what's uh, a more specific problem? And I said, Wi-Fi connectivity. And then, uh, past that, I think it came up and said, oh, well, is it, you know, kind of random? Uh, oh no. Then it came up and said, um, well, what do you want to do? You wanted to, uh, schedule a call, uh, chat, take it in for, and I'm like, you know, let's schedule a call. And so it actually knows my phone number because I registered that. And, and, and I said, yeah, give me a call. And it's like, okay, we can, we can call you back in 15 minutes. Lo and behold, my landline rang and, and there was Apple on the phone and I got the first level guy and I'm like, yeah, hi. Um, you know, you, you can, you know, so they can see the details of the machine. And, uh, I said, yeah, I'm having a, 
having a problem with the, you know, my Wi-Fi dropping. And he's like, you're on a MacBook Pro 2012 and you're on Yosemite. I'm like, yeah. He's like, uh, yeah, that's a known issue. I'm like, oh, which kind of surprised me because uh, depending on uh, who you talk to and what company you talk to, a lot of times they, uh, a lot of times they'll try to point the finger at you. Sure. Um, so here, so, I, and he's like, yeah, so, um, here's a, we're working on the issue. Um, hopefully it'll be pick, it'll be fixed in the next major release of Yosemite. But for the time being, we think it's an airdrop issue. So, and he's like, are you okay with the terminal? I'm like, dude. Yeah. <laughs> so I did, um, defaults space, right space, com dot Apple dot network browser space, disable airdrop capital D A P space dash bool b-o-o-l which is boolean space yes and that basically disables airdrop okay. i think their suspicion is that well for whatever reason airdrop is is, is messing things up well airdrop um, airdrop uses a different mode of your wireless chip which is why it didn't work on uh some older uh macs when it when it first came out it still won't work on those older macs it puts it into uh, promiscuous mode i think it, it, uh, that may be the wrong mode i know there's different wireless modes but essentially what it does is it lets it create ad hoc connections between devices while simultaneously maintaining a connection to a base station right that that's what airdrop does and it's so that even if you're on some public wi-fi network where uh the connections are um uh you know uh uh, uh what do I want to say? Not sandboxed, but, but you know, you're, you, where they're not letting data be shared between multiple th things, which they shouldn't right? you know, on a public Wi-Fi and a guest network mode, it should just be you, your pipe to the internet and you don't see anybody else that also just has a pipe to the internet. So, or if you're not on Wi-Fi at all, that's how airdrop works is it, it allows this to happen outside of the band of, of setting up a connection to, to that. But that mode for whatever reason in Yosemite perhaps is broken and um, and and it won't maintain the connection to the base station while it's doing its airport. Uh, sorry, it's um, airdrop scanning. Right. So suggested that. And then he's like, um, you know, that may make it not as bad. Um, and I think it's a little, it's less worse, but it's still happening. Then he's like, uh, would you like to talk to one of the Apple engineers? Always. Um, to, uh, you know, uh, submit some more information. I'm like, sure. He's like, yeah, hold on a bit. Um, I forget where he was, but then um, I got another person who, who's actually in uh, Portland, I think. So they have a call center in Portland, which kind of made me happy. And so I was speaking with a young lady there. In Portland, like, yeah. Portland, Oregon? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was kind of neat. So I'm yeah. like, yeah, where are you? Because yeah. you know, it's like, well, I think it's seven o'clock over there or, sure. or when I was calling. It was kind of late. You yeah. know, so I was kind of impressed that there was somebody available. And uh, she's like, okay, I'm going to so um she sent me an email saying, okay, I'm going to send you an email. This is going to instruct you to download a program um, from us. That's basically going to scour your system for logs and send them to us. So, you know, we can try to fix this. I'm like, yeah, oh, cool. Cool. So I did that, ran the little program. It took a little while. Then I also got an email and, and actually uh, I think right now my case is currently open. I mean, she gave me her email address, sure. uh, you know, whoever at apple.com. I have a case number and, um, you know, we'll see what happens. They may, you know, if they have a fix Now I'm going to try to fix it myself. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to try to do. And then we'll move on here. Okay. I'm almost convinced because this message came from the Colonel. I'm convinced that 
it's a bug in the kernel extension that manages the wireless chipset. Oh, so you're going to copy the old kernel extension from uh, from Mavericks? Uh, that That is going to be my initial way to solve this problem. Now, first off, you may ask yourself, all right, now this is getting really geeky, everybody, but then we're Matt Geek Gab. Right. But I want to I go through the steps of how you can tell or how you could approach a, a similar problem. Uh, you know, first off, you know, you're messing with the kernel. Um, make a backup. Well, you're, you're messing with extensions. You're not recompiling the kernel, but yes, right. a backup. You, you, could, you could make portions of your system unusable if you screw up kernel extensions. Absolutely. Okay? Absolutely. So, um, so what you want to do, so first I wanted to be like, well, you know, which kernel extension is handling this? And, and the way you can find that out is if you go to the Apple menu, um, you hold down option and you'll get uh, system information. Uh, you can run an application called system information. And once you're running that, let's bring it up here. There we are. Then you'll see on the left a number of categories. Now, the place that I went to, Dave, is um, because I kind of knew the details here, is uh, software. And under software, there is extensions. So you click on that, the system's going to churn for a while, and then it's going to show you a list of all the kernel extensions, as well as their status. Um, now, I knew from past experience that uh, Apple, you know, they don't make their own wireless chips. They use chips from Broadcom. And uh, towards the top of the list, you're going to see a number of kernel extensions. One's called Airport Ethereos 40, which I guess is another maker of wireless chipsets. And then I saw Airport brcm 4331 and airport brcm 4360 um then there's a loaded column and the thing is the first two were shown as not loaded and the third one the 4361 is shown as loaded so that is the wireless chipset in this machine um it also tell you if you click on it it'll give you details about where that's located and this is actually inside of um a package like a kernel extension package and so I looked, Dave, and I saw that this one actually um, has changed. So I looked at the, 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 the equivalent one in the prior OS, and I noticed that it changed ever so slightly. So this kind of confirms my suspicion that it may be a bug huh. um, in that. Now, the thing is, you can't just copy over. So this is actually a, a cool little program that I found, Dave. So you can't just copy over a kernel extension and expect it to work. It needs special permissions. It has to be just so. Because when I initially did it, it came up and I had a big X where my airport was. And then I looked at the kernel extensions and it basically said, well, I can't load this because the permissions are wrong on it. It has the wrong owner and stuff like that. It has to be very specific. Um, there are ways to do this with the terminal. And I'll, I, I will find an article where you, where you can type magic things in the terminal. But there's also a handy little app, Dave, called KEXT Drop. Ah. Which I'm going to try as well. And it's from, uh, I believe it's from the same people that do our uh, trim uh, trim tool here. Okay, so it's from Sindori. Sindori, yes. Okay. So they, all, so they make a little thing that let you just drag and drop a kernel but, extension. But, and, but uh, I have to stop you here. Um, yes. Kextrop on their page says it uh, it's at version 1.1 and only supports up to Mavericks. Does not yet I, support I Yosemite. That. Okay. I suspect it. Well, it, and if it doesn't work, the thing is, I uh, there's also a way to do this stuff manually. So, right. so it may not work. It right. may screw things up. And I'm I'm gonna uh, that's gonna be my way of trying to solve the problem temporarily is to see if the prior yeah one works. If not, I mean it's it's an annoyance, but I'm hoping Apple will. Uh, you know, it, it's an annoyance. Again, it happens. Sometimes it happens in rapid succession. Sometimes it doesn't. But what makes me happy is. Um, you know, they admitted it's a known issue. 
they, uh, you know, uh, allowed me to submit information to help them solve the problem. And I, I really hope they do. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. So, you know, the, the thing about kernel extensions and Yosemite is there's a, a, a big difference now, uh, that has changed since Mavericks. And that is that Apple now Yosemite now requires texts to be signed, which means that the developer needs to have registered this text with Apple text kernel extension uh, with Apple. And it's associated with their developer profile and all that. And, and Yosemite will not run unsigned kernel extensions without putting it into hacky developer mode which you can do. And, and to, to jump back a bit, the uh, change uh, we mentioned uh, that Michael King in the chat room had said that there was a, a terminal hack that would let you enable or let me enable um, continuity and all the handoff stuff on my older Mac. And there is, but it requires replacing a kernel extension. And to do that, I have to tell my Mac not to care whether a kernel extension is signed or not. And to do that, you make some changes to boot arguments. Um, you put it into developer mode and you have to go into recovery mode. There's a couple of, of um, very careful steps you have to do. And you need that to also use uh, trim enabler on Yosemite. And this is all fine. You know, I get what Apple is doing here. They like to have everything signed. Um, that's good. But typically the only things that they're going to allow to be signed this way are things that they would sell in the Mac app store. At least that's what we're seeing currently that might change. But, um, but the issue is, and we, but we've, we've lived without this for a long time and it's been fine. You know, we haven't had a rash of, um, of, of third party kernels that have, have gone out and, and destroyed people's systems. It's possible, right? But anything's possible. You gotta, you know, if you're downloading software from, from, uh, from somewhere you need to vet the source and trust the source. However, um, with these kernel extensions, here's the thing. If you put your Mac into developer mode and you install uh, a, a custom kernel or a custom extension, it will work up until for whatever reason, your Mac gets bounced out of developer mode and then your Mac will not boot anymore. Uh, and this is all explained. Sindori goes through a great job explaining this on their website because you need to do this if you're going to run trim enabler, but it's, it, it's one of those things you want to kind of stop and know the path to resolution because you don't want to get your Mac into a spot where it won't boot it. Let's say, um, you know, Yosemite, uh, 10, 10, one or whatever comes out that will likely turn off kernel developer mode and make your Mac unbootable. We, we, we don't know, but it is certainly possible and foreseeable that that kind of thing would happen. So you got to be really careful messing with kernels. And I think to do your thing, what you're talking about, John is an interesting thing because you're talking about taking an Apple kernel extension and putting it in place of a newer Apple kernel extension. The question is, is the old one signed to work with Yosemite? And if not, you got to go in developer mode. Otherwise it's just not going to work. Yeah, that's interesting because looking at the one in, um, yeah, maybe they changed it because looking at uh, I'm looking at a, a Mavericks machine right now, and that kernel extension uh, in the detailed description uh, says it is signed by okay. Software Signing Apple Code Signing Certification Authority Apple Root CA. That the, so that you may so be, the you signing may be fine. thing is uh, so the signing thing I don't think is new. They may be uh, increasing the scope of it in Yosemite, but signing is is certainly not a new thing for for. Uh, uh, 
not a new technology, but but yeah, I, I and I read the same thing on the site too. But they may be uh, getting stricter about it. Yeah, so, um, yeah. So we'll see how far I get. I mean, you know, again, uh, you know, I have backups of the old stuff. And actually, I, I I made one attempt and disabled everything. And when I you know uh, renamed the original one back, uh, all of a sudden it just started working again. It actually okay. it actually loaded it in real time, which was kind of kind of weird because even though it showed that it was disabled in the uh, Apple menu, it actually made the connection like almost immediately it was oh, like, oh look a kernel extension let me load this for you yeah yeah they, in theory they should load right away but um it's not always you know there's a there's an interesting process that goes on yeah well there's caches as well and and uh, they may get out of sync and, and all that fun stuff mm-hmm. so i'll say how far i get but uh I'm, I'm i'm very looking forward to uh the next major release of yosemite so i can have reliable uh wi-fi yeah hopefully apple gets that fix in there that's right that's right. All right. Um, I, I do want to talk about uh, these Yosemite tricks. Uh, but first, I want to talk about our sponsor for the show, which is Squarespace. With They've finally released Squarespace 7. It's a totally new update to their platform. And, uh, and it's, it's very cool. So, you know, Squarespace's whole thing has been to make things simple. The whole concept of publishing your own website from start to finish, designing the website, hosting the website, all of that, that is their stock in trade. If you will, you use nothing but a web browser and you configure everything right there, including dragging images in. This is stuff that's always been there. Uh, They've now kind of iterated on that. And what they've done is they take a look and see what, how are, how are you building web pages with Squarespace and what can we do? What can they do um, to make it even better? Um, you start with your own unique presence. You can integrate Google apps directly into your account. Um, they've now got Getty in integration for instant images right there, cover pages, all of that good stuff. Um, and, and this is the cool thing that, that, that Squarespace does is they just keep making things better. They don't stop and just let you host your site. They do. If you, if all you want to do is host your site, that's great. They're not forcing changes on you, but they keep expanding their offering for you. The whole workspace now is, is even cleaner to use. Um, And that, that was one of their goals is simplifying it and just letting you get your work done. Um, You can add content, design and customize all in one window. They now have, cover pages um, inside your, your website there because sometimes you just need one simple page. And, and so they've created this new option called cover pages that allows you to do that. And it's a great place to start. You don't have to think about, well, yeah, I want to design a website and yeah, I know Squarespace is going to take care of all the nuts and bolts for me, but I really only want one page. I, I don't need six different, you know, content pages that I need to pull out of these templates. Nope. Start with a cover page and you're good to go. Uh, it works quite well. Um, they've got what they call new tastemaker templates. Squarespace, Squarespace is, is working with musicians, which I really like, um, and other artists, architects, um, it, people in different professions, chefs, they say rock climbers. Um, they've got a couple of pop bands out there and, and they're creating, Templates with these people, you know, they've always Squarespace has always worked on creating these awesome templates. And as I've said in uh, in previous shows, they they really take their time going through and tweaking these things and making them work, not just on one browser, but all browsers and all platforms mobile. Uh, every template they have is optimized for mobile when you're on mobile 
and then it works great in a uh, desktop browser when you're on a desktop. So they're, they're working with some of these, these artists and, and industry folks to uh, bring their design aesthetics and their desires into these templates and then kind of Squarespace ifying these templates and making it so that you too can't, I don't mean the band you too, although they could because it's Squarespace. It's easy. Anybody can do it anywhere in the world, but, um, but you as well can now take advantage of these, um, these new templates. So it's very, very, very cool. Um, you got to check this out. So go to squarespace.com slash MGG. That'll let them know that we sent you. And we certainly appreciate that. Um, and then when you get there, you're just going to start designing. So you're not, you're not going to buy anything right away. You're not even going to give them your name out of the gate. You're just going to start designing and playing. And that's the fun part when you, you and you get a 14 day free trial. Uh, that's just how Squarespace works. When you come to the end of your 14 days, or if you're ready to publish your site sooner than that, then that's when you need to sign up for an account and, uh, and actually pay. You're going to sign up for an account as soon as you start, as soon as you create a design that you want to stick with, because you want to be able to come back and edit it. But when it's time to pay, make sure you use coupon code MGG. It saves you 10% off of uh, your first purchase there. And you can buy a year's worth and save 10% off of that. And plans start at eight bucks a month. So this is, this is the way to do this. So check it out. Uh, squarespace.com slash MGG. And don't forget MGG is your coupon code because that's what gets you your 10% off when you come back around. Let us know what you're doing with your Squarespace site. Uh, tweet us about it at MacGeekGab is the, the place to go there on Twitter. And, uh, and we'll retweet it with, um, with the hashtag Squarespace shout out. So I think that's, it's been fun. We've had a lot of you send in your, your web pages and they're, they're awesome. And we're happy to promote them for you. So let us know squarespace.com slash MGG and tweet us your uh, Squarespace shout out at, uh, at Mac geek Gab on Twitter. All right, John time for some, uh, time for some Yo Yosemite tips, some quick Yosemite tips here. Cause these are cool. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll be quick. I don't know. Um, Yosemite's finder got an update. I do. I was not even aware of, and this is the ability to batch rename files. And it's, actually really really simple you highlight a bunch of files you control or right click on them and essentially what happens is it comes up with what feels like an automator thing but it's all built you didn't have to build anything in automator and it says replace it's got a, it does a batch replace right so you say rename these x number of items uh you're going to choose replace text you can find one thing. So if it's like, you know, IMG underscore whatever, whatever, you can say, uh, you know, pictures of uh, Fling Fest last night and or, you know, put the date in and then just have it go and, and rename all of those. It's going to be huge, especially for those pictures that come in like that. Um, but you can have it add text. You can reformat. You can uh, put time and date in. It's awesome. It really is. You know, I'm sure it's coming from the, the automator side of things. There's no reason they wouldn't want to, uh, they would want to reinvent the wheel, but it, it's awesome and it's great to see. Um, so check that out. Have you checked that out, John? Not yet. Okay. Yeah. That one was fun. But I know there was always a shortcoming in Finder and I think people have uh, like a better Finder rename, I think. was. Mm -hmm. it? And there's, there's a few mm -hmm. uh, very nice utilities that would kind of cover that. Uh, that gap a mission. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So another one, John, that has been driving me crazy and I'm so glad in Yosemite, I can and now have fixed this 
You know how when you visit a website in Safari, uh, you type in the URL, you, you, you visit what, however you get there. But in the URL bar, it just shows you um, just the website. You don't get to see the full URL. So if you're at an, an, an article on Mac Observer, it doesn't show you the full path to the article. It just says www.macobserver.com or macobserver.com up in the, in the title bar you, there. You don't, you don't need, need to know that. I'd like to know that. <laughs> I, I, you know, there, there's actually, I mean, for me, doing site development and stuff, it's really handy to be able to see where I am. But I, I just feel lost without it. Well, you can turn it back on. It's, in fact, it's super easy. You go into you, in Safari, you go to the Safari menu and you go to preferences. You go all the way over to advanced. And the very first thing is um, smart search field. There's a checkbox that says show full website address. That's it. There's nothing else to tell on this one. Thank goodness, though. Yeah. Mm, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. If I needed to know, I'd, another way is you click on it and then it expands it to the full thing. And Yeah. You can drag it around and stuff. But yeah, if, if you want the nitty gritty, that's, yeah. uh, that's important. It's nice to have the nitty gritty. Um, and I think, I think those are the only ones I have. That was it. We already talked about, uh, I had another one about how to hand off uh, calls to your phone, but we already talked about that. So that's, that's already out there. You got any tips, John, for Yosemite while we're out of here? Uh, I'm still... <laughs> <laughs> I'm current currently focused on uh getting Wi-Fi yeah, working. Getting the Wi-Fi working. Yeah. yeah. Then I'll dive in a bit. But um Yeah. Um What did I notice? Yeah, this is um you know they I, I believe they slightly changed the uh, the wireless menu. I think they give you more direct access to uh some of the underlying cool utilities like wireless diagnostics and all that. Maybe that was in Mavericks, I'm not sure. Um you know what? I can tell you because I'm on a, on a Mavericks machine here. I'm hoping that this doesn't foobar up our Skype connection. Um, yeah, it shouldn't. Yeah, yeah if you hold you, down option. You could you get to wireless that? diagnostic. Well, no, because I don't have wireless running on my on my iMac in the studio. I run Ethernet to it. But I did just turn it on, and there was a wireless diagnostics option in uh, in Mavericks. It was down at the bottom as opposed to the top. But one thing I noticed here is that it shows if the internet is reachable. I don't. I don't remember that. Uh, from the past, but again, that might be a thing that um, that right. I just simply missed. And actually, now I do notice. Now it does, I believe, show uh, now this. Maybe this because I have a newer machine here, but it does show some additional information. Like here, it's showing that I'm on a five gigahertz, forty megahertz wide channel. Yeah, is, that was always there. Okay, it was. Yeah, I didn't have that. Right, or, or, right, yeah, or the older. I think the yeah, um, yeah, I think the older machine didn't give you that level of detail. Okay, it was the OS. I think it was the uh, could have been the chipset. The chipset, sure. Yeah. 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 Internet reachable. That's right. Yeah. I don't think that was there before. And then randomly I get my hotspot showing up here. Yeah. It's, it's... Oh, from your iPhone. Right. Right. Well, from my iPad. Cause I don't have it enabled on. Oh, right. <laughs> on my yes. iPhone. Yes. Yes. Ah, oh, that's right. I totally forgot. That's still a carrier limitation thing. It's so silly. Right. So that's, that, that's a new feature in Yosemite. Yep. Yeah. It's being able to, uh, to access a, a hotspot well, from Mac to a iOS device. To auto configure a hotspot. You could always access yeah, it. Yeah. It was always yeah. possible, but, but yeah, this, this makes it way, way easier. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You want to do some questions here, John, before we, uh, before we completely run out of time? I, I want to do answers too. 
Well, that's the idea. <laughs> so uh, Chuck writes in, he says, I'm using Yosemite and have the latest iWork pages, numbers, and keynote. I've been perplexed for years about how to get file open recent to show anything but clear menu in these programs. There's nothing in preferences to turn on or off that shows the most recent files uh, that have been produced and that should appear when file most recent is accessed. I've seen many conversations and theories about this, none of which have resolved the problem. So I've come to you. Do you have a solution? Well, I'm not certain I do, but I know of another place to check. These are Apple programs. And sometimes Apple, I'd like to say they break their own rules, right? Um, but maybe this isn't a rule that, uh, maybe this is a rule that other third-party developers could and should uh, inherit and adopt. And that is, that I believe for these programs, the number of things that will appear in recent items there, uh, I believe is defined in general, the, the general pane of system preferences. And it's at the bottom where it says recent items, and then you get to pick. It's in the inference there is that this only affects the finder, but I am nearly certain that, that, it affects other Apple apps as well. And so if that is set to none, you will get none. If it's set to 10, you should get 10. That's my theory. You have any theories on this, John? Uh, your theory is my theory. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I saw the same thing. I'm like, wait a second. Where, where, where is that stuff? Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a frustrating thing that, you know, Apple, I don't know. I, I like it in that it's, you know, it's one setting system wide that affects everything. And in theory might be what you want, but then again, maybe not, but that's how, that's how it works. All right. And then we have, uh, well, we'll let Todd take it away for us. Hi, Gabbers, ADD Todd here. Quick question. Just got the new iTunes 12 kind of sucks with the way they've messed it up. Is there any way to get back permanently to sidebar? Because I really prefer to have my list on the side of my iTunes. Keep up the good work. Keep having fun. And it is greatly appreciated that occasionally, if not most of the time, and again, considering my brain, maybe all the time, that you're you're playing two podcasts per week. It's very helpful to get all the tips that you guys get. No need to cut me off because I'm hanging up. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks, Todd. <laughs> um, yeah. So it, it's time to have a moment of silence for the iTunes sidebar. Apple has been trying to kill the iTunes sidebar for a long time, making it first. Uh, I, I would say they, they followed uh, the coder's paradigm. They deprecated it in that it was off by default for a while and you could turn it back on. But now it is gone, kind of. Um, and I've, I've, I've been an iTunes sidebar user and advocate for a long time and was very sad when I first saw iTunes 12 because I used the sidebar all the time. But the interesting thing is, John, I have come to really, really like the iTunes 12 interface. It's not perfect. It's not what I would prefer but it's actually way better uh, in my opinion than, than previous. And, and I, this is, it's just surprising for me to say, but what I like about it is um, it, 
there are basically five tabs across the top, right? Music, playlists, match radio, and an iTunes store. The playlist tab still has a sidebar. The my music tab does not. So you don't see your playlist sidebar when you're searching through music. Um, and that part is somewhat frustrating. If you've got songs, you want to drag into playlists and manage them. But, um, but what I do like is that my music, I like to see my music in, um, uh, song mode. So I get genres, artists, and albums across the top. And then the list of songs as I, as I navigate there. And in previous versions of iTunes, that would go away and always reset to this graphical view. You know, I've got 23,000 songs in iTunes. Um, I'm worried about hitting my 25,000 limit with iTunes match. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I always hate, I don't, it, it is not helpful to me to start with the graphical images of the, you know, first 12 albums alphabetically in my list. That is that, that does me no good whatsoever. So I would always switch to this song view and now it just stays there all the time, uh, which I really, really like. And so this is, um, I, it's an improvement in that it's better for me than it was before. And again, I'm really surprised to be saying that I, I, I expected to fully be in the camp of, uh, iTunes 12 needs to be shot and it, it still does need to be shot, but not for, not for this reason. It just needs, it needs a, a complete overhaul, which we've talked about on the show before. And it's tough for Apple to do when their entire ecosystem sort of stems from this. It's just become bloatware and we need separate apps. We need a podcast app. We need a music app. We need a videos app separate on the Mac. We don't need all of this stuff baked into one and sort of hodgepodge around, but, I think that'll come. I hope that'll come. Anyway, what do you think of the new iTunes 12, John? Uh, one of the first things I did was, yeah, look for a way to re-enable the sidebar. And I couldn't find it because there isn't. Yeah. But, um, you know, the, but I don't know. Once I see, you know, for example, now, I mean, you know, if you uh, have a device connecting over Wi-Fi, you'll see it. And if you click on it, um, what, what you see is is pretty close. So, yeah, I mean, it's a, I don't know. It'd be nice if they continue to offer an option that they had uh, in the prior version, because that's just what people are used to and how they, you know, the workflow works. But, they, but to be fair and, and there's no reason to be fair, but I'm going to be, they did follow the process of deprecating this, right? They turned it off by default and made you turn it back on, which, you know, certainly put the writing on the wall that, Hey, this, this is not here to stay, but you can have it for a little while if you want. I don't know. I'm, I'm quite surprised that I'm liking the new. Um, it's just less crappy is what it comes down to. It, it, it seems faster. They've streamlined it. Whatever, whatever they did by uh, taking the sidebar off of the my music view uh, has helped. In terms of its its usability, which is weird. I don't know. That's how it works. All right. You want to take us to Robert, John? Yeah. Now that I think about Robert, I'm, I'm not sure what to think. All right. Uh, you think. <laughs> well, Robert writes in. And let's switch over to Robert here. Here we go. Dear David, John, I'm encountering a recurring issue with my mid-2009 MacBook Pro. Over the span of running several days, the memory usage will gradually increase. To the point where it will almost use up all its physical memory. 
The swap is never used. A puzzling aspect of this problem is that the activities listed in Activity Monitor don't add up to the indicated memory usage. Adding up the items listed below resulted in slightly less than 4 gigabytes uses as opposed to the indicated 7.93. Restarting the computer resolves the issue temporarily. However, indicated memory usage will gradually increase over several days. I'm running OS 10.9.5 with a 2.5 gigahertz processor and 8 gigs of RAM. Any help would be appreciated. And here's what you see. So if you run Activity Monitor, you click on the Memory tab. What I saw in, in his screen, and it differed from what I saw in one of my systems, I, I thought it wasn't quite rat, Dave. Okay. Okay. Dave rat. Yeah. So it says physical memory, 8 gigs. Memory used, 7.93. Virtual memory, 8. And swap, 0. That doesn't seem correct to me. Well... Now, this is, is on a Yosemite machine, right? Well, no, he said he's running 10.95. Oh, that is not normal. No. Okay. Oh, good. All right. But yeah, it, it just it didn't seem right to me. So what I suggested is he may not be running what is known as the dynamic pager. This is a process within Yikes. the OS that um, handles uh, you know, the swap and paging and all that great stuff. Right? Yeah, no, that's right. That's and I remember right. that there were articles in the past and some people would, uh, I, I would say, wrongly suggest that you should disable the dynamic pager because um, uh, then your system will run better. Because it, it will, because it would swap. It It'll would, just use physical memory. And I, I question whether that's the right thing to do, because I think you're second guessing how the OS should work. There are scenarios where it makes sense to disable swap. Um, servers are one of them. You know, and especially like now in, in virtualized server environments, swap is is typically completely disabled by default. Um, and it makes sense in, in, in those scenarios. And, and maybe it makes sense on your Mac, too. Right. Um, but it's not how the OS is built to work. And that's where things can get wonky. Right. Right. So what? Uh, so I dug around. And so there is a way to. um to activate the uh, uh, dynamic pager. And it's, uh, you go into the terminal and uh, you type in sudo space launch CTL, launch control, space load, space dash W, space, and I think I'll just say a big long thing and we'll list it in the show notes. Well, system library launch daemons com.apple.dynamic underscore pager dot p list. That will load, if it's not loaded, the dynamic pager. And then swapping will occur, and he will see a number uh, for that figure. So that was my suggestion. There's, if it's already loaded, this won't hurt anything. If it's not loaded, then it will load it, and, and I think that's a that's a good thing. But uh, he he actually wrote back and said, "I'm I'm not too comfortable doing this." <laughs> so I, I I don't see any downside to attempting this because I think it may make things run better or, or more as they should under this version of the OS. But that's, that's my take. Yeah. I'm curious how, if this listener is not someone who's comfortable with the terminal, which is obviously fine, how you would get into this spot, or maybe they're not in the spot we think they're in right at all. And that's obviously possible too. So 
I mean, I'm just curious if at some point uh, s- uh, there was an attempt to not load, to unload it, because so the the opposite of this command is you type everything the same except uh, I believe you say unload, and that will you know uh, unload the dynamic pager process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I'm curious to uh, to hear back on on how that goes. Sam has. Um, Sam is kind of in the same boat you are, John. He says, I just upgraded my current MacBook Pro to Yosemite and went okay. However, I just purchased a new MacBook Pro and it arrived yesterday. However, before I migrate my data, I want to make sure that the new MacBook Pro has Yosemite on it for two reasons. One, I don't want to have to upgrade again. And two, I don't want to have to deal with whatever issues uh, that may bring along with it. If, you know, there's something about, Yosemite, maybe I've enabled the iCloud drive that Mavericks doesn't support. And now how does migration assistant deal with that? Even though I know I'm going to be at Yosemite again down the road, it's smart. You want to make sure you're, it, unless there's some specific reason you're going to stay on Mavericks, which you're not, you want to make sure your new machine has, um, has at least the same operating system, if not one newer than, uh, than what you're coming from. But he says, my question is how can I find out what OS is installed on a brand new Mac? All that comes up is the setup screens where I have to choose the language, accept the software agreement, migration assistant, etc. But it's not entirely clear what's installed on it. And I think he's right. I don't have a Mac to test this on, but I don't recall there being anything that was obvious um, to tell me what the OS was. So um, assuming there is no Apple menu in those screens from which you could simply choose about this Mac. Um, And that would be the easiest way, but I'm guessing on those screens, there's not. The first way that comes to mind is to boot into recovery mode with command R. Um, That should let you see at least what OS is in recovery mode and in theory will be the same because you can do about this Mac, but you can be sure because you can go into startup disc uh, in recovery mode and in recovery mode, I think startup disc lives in the Apple menu. Um, It's in kind of a weird spot, but, uh, but you can go there. And, uh, and that will show you your startup disc, which also shows you the OS version that's on that disc. So as long as that shows Yosemite, Uh right? Startup disc always shows that. So that's one way to be certain that your boot drive has, uh, the OS you think it does. And if it doesn't, then, you know, then you've got to go through the steps of creating maybe a, uh, uh, you know, a USB boot stick, like we talked about in the last show and, and updating that machine before you then do uh, the uh, migration assistant. That's how I would find it, right? Uh, I got not one, but two other thoughts. Giddy up. So if you have another Mac at your disposal, um, if you boot a machine uh, and they have compatible connectors and you boot a machine into target disk mode. Yeah. The same right? thing that you right? indicate applies is that if sure. you plug a disk into a machine and then and it's bootable, uh, the startup. Uh, so it's a slightly different way of getting at it. And of course, last I checked, uh, boot, booting a machine in target disk mode is when you boot it. I, I think it's T or command T. Yeah. Does that work with a mach- the new machines? I guess it does. It works with either Firewire or Thunderbolt. Thunderbolt right. right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and then the third way, I believe, is that if you boot a machine, and uh, this is something called Startup Manager... Uh, if you hold down option when you boot a machine, it'll show, as you said, Dave, it'll show you, it, you should see two partitions. You should see the main partition 
And then based on what I've seen, the recovery partition often has the version of the OS that the recovery partition is in. It right? is in, right. That's right. Yeah. And it's, it's I mean, like, it, I think you'll see recovery 10 point, whatever, recovery eight, recovery nine, recovery 10, which I think, you know, is the sub version. So, right, right, right. At least on most of my machines, that's the case. So, uh, so just a plethora of ways that you can. <laughs> yeah, I like it accomplish this all right john take us to we we only have but a couple of minutes left but uh, take us to ralph if you would please because i think this is an important one to address yeah oh gosh ralph all right so ralph has an issue with mail all right so he says hey guys love the show and yeah thank you I learned something new every time. I upgraded to Yosemite on my MacBook Pro 15-inch mid-2012. Hey, that's what I have. <laughs> With 16 gigs of RAM. That's not what I have. That's what you need. Um, that's right. Uh, that's what I want. Yeah. I want at least eight, I think. Yeah. But 16 would be nice, too. Yeah. yeah. I'll have to figure out who to get that from. Um, several times a day, Mail.app does what I can only describe as a memory takeover. I watch my menu bar RAM meter ramp up with system indicator 1.4. I haven't heard of that. Um, rise and rise to 99% memory usage. And every time activity monitor reveals that mail app is using 30, 40, sometimes 60 gigs of physical and virtual memory. Yes, that's gigs, not megabytes. Uh, the system becomes almost unresponsive. And I often get a dialogue box warning that I have used all my physical memory. Wow. I, I've never seen that. Have you? Um, only when trying to replicate this problem. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've never seen an alert saying I'm running out of physical memory, huh? Yeah. Because my machine's swapping as a should. Yeah. Well, right but what you'll get and what, what he's probably talking about is not that he's running out of physical memory and it might be that I've never seen, but what I have seen is where it says your machine is running out of disk space and it's because of swap. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Oh, maybe yeah. So maybe I haven't seen his message, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I can usually force quit mail and things settle back down to normal. I can restart mail and sail along for a while. Then it happens again. See the screenshot. And sure enough, the screenshot shows in the memory column, 60 gigabytes. Yeah, that's a and lot. As he pointed out, I looked on both of my systems and mail should be taking up, yes, on the order of tens of megabytes, perhaps. I so think I, I offered. I think I know what it is. Oh, go ahead, John. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. Well, my response was, was, uh, yeah, that seems a bit excessive for a mail program <laughs> consuming tens of gigabytes. And I said, I'm wondering if it's a mail app plugin that's gone crazy, which could be the case if it's an incompatible or, or whacked out plugin, you know, which is something that extends mail's functionality that that could be it. Um, so I suggest that, you know, look in your home directory library mail bundles. And that's where uh, where all your uh, mail plugins are. And you may want to drag those out and uh, see if the problem persists. If not, then, hey, you found the bad bundle or bad mail plugin that is causing this grief. Uh, the other thing as a general diagnostic tool, um, how can you tell what files and, uh, and other things an application has open? It, it's a mystery. I, I have no idea. Well, I know I do. <laughs> so if you're in activity monitor, and you see your list of processes. Well, if, if you double click on the process, uh, you're then going to get another window and it's going to show memory, statistics, and open files and ports. 
So you may want to peruse that. Some of it may be incomprehensible gibberish, um, but some of it may, uh, and I believe it includes the plugins, but you may see uh, one or more files open that could be consuming all of that uh, memory. So um, uh, just a general troubleshooting tip. It it can be a bit overwhelming here. I mean, you'll see all sorts of things, image files and dynamic libraries and and all this stuff, but you may see something that you realize maybe you recently added that that is causing this uh, excess memory usage. But so that's a general tip, Dave, but then I have seen numerous people report uh, Yosemite mail going out of control under very specific circumstances. Um, I can't remember exactly what, what, what were were they, Dave? Yeah. So I you're, I mean, the troubleshooting tips you give are good and, and our, 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 our sound that that's that's where I would head to except we've heard from several listeners and and they like like you said there's reports all over of mail doing exactly this and the reason uh, or the trigger is if you start adding attachments to a message um, and I believe it's more susceptible to it to a message you're creating it's more susceptible if that message is rich text versus plain text, because in order to trigger this, I had to, I I default to sending in plain text um, and attachments did not cause mail to bloat, at least not as quickly, but with, with it in rich text, it goes very, very, um, very quickly and gets out of control. So um, I don't believe there's any fix that, that we can offer other than hopefully, uh, you know, along with John's, uh, Wi-Fi fix in the next rev of, of Yosemite, we get a fix for this too. The workaround is add your attachments right before you click send. So compose your message, get it all good to go, get your attachments ready, drag them in in one fell swoop and hit send. And then you're going to be fine. Uh, I think if that in fact is the trigger you're seeing, and that's the trigger most people are seeing with mail in Yosemite. So, your mileage may vary, but it may not. And that's so something to be aware of. It's one of those things. File on the back of your head. And you're good to go. All right. Uh, last but not least, John, take us to Alejandro, because I'm very curious to hear about your experience with uh, answering this question. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Alejandro, A-L-E. Here it is. Wait. Oh. Are you kidding me? Preview quit unexpectedly. You want me to read his question? I'll read his question. Just keep time moving while you lo- while you launch it again. He says, uh, for a long time, I've restra- refrained from installing an antivirus package on my Mac since I never heard of such a thing uh, over a- ever affecting Macs or Mac users. On the other hand, I want to be able to access some files at work. And they told me I had to have an antivirus package in- installed in order for them to let me connect to the company's VPN. It makes sense since they don't want it to be infected. I was wondering if you have any recommendations for people like me, John. And I do. And I even ran it though. I normally do not run this. Yeah. Eh, what the heck? Sure. Uh, I'll, I'll typically install this on, on windows machines. Okay. Which I strongly recommend you have some sort of antivirus. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, but when required I've used or I use and I did. Uh, it's called Clam AV. It's an open source uh, antivirus package. And the uh, Mac version is called Clam X or Clam 10 AV. Okay. And you can even get in the app store. So just search for Clam and you should be good. And so, you know what? I took it, Dave. 
And I ran it on my system. And you know what? It found hundreds, hundreds. Hundreds of what? Of, of things that it claims were infected. But I'll qualify that. Okay. I, I don't think they are viruses, but they are things that you may want to be. Uh, they are things that if they run on another system may cause havoc. And I think that in general is why you want to run an antivirus on a Mac. Not so much that it'll hurt your Mac, but if you transfer documents uh, or files that, that have wacky things happening in them, it may cause grief on other people's systems. I'll buy that. Yeah. So, for example, I had a couple of um, documents. Uh, so they're job postings. Um, that I keep on file for, you know, things that I apply for. And it found an infection called js.agent-58, which I believe is a JavaScript, uh, some sort of JavaScript exploit. All right. Okay. Then I found something else in my email messages. So several email messages, um, which end, uh, you know, they're buried deep within your mail folder. And they end in EMLX and it ha- found another one, which I don't know is necessarily a virus, but it identified it as heuristics.phishing.email.spoofed domain. So what it's saying is that, okay, uh, somebody kind of fiddled with the, the header or something in this email. So it's a, be careful of this. Then it found some others, Dave, and actually one of them went way, way back. It was actually an email that I believe we received, uh, or I think I received a TMO and I think I forwarded it to you, but it was... Um, sent to uh, my TMO email address and it was telling me about my uh, Chase bank account that had been exploited sure. and that I should click on this link to fix it. And uh, I, I don't manage the TMO uh, bank account. So, right, right. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll take care of that for you. Yeah. <laughs> and then some others. Uh, so it identified, uh, yeah. And uh, so it identified looking at the text of an email, uh, basically saying, yeah, this is a phishing attack. So it's not a virus, but but it is something to be uh, aware of. So I would say running this would be should satisfy them. I'm going to uh, also, I think, find because the other type of virus that that, that I'm aware of is that, uh, you know, uh, certain Microsoft documents can contain wacky things that I think in general don't affect Macs, but could affect uh, PCs. Yeah. And I believe this will identify those as well. So, um you know, the price is right. You know, run a scan, make sure you, nothing shocking comes up. And uh, that'd be my advice. I, 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 I will I will qualify that advice. Um, if if you do need one, Clam AV is going to be fine. However, uh, because it's the Mac App Store and the way things work, the, the version in the Mac App Store that that you can get of Clam XAV is um, stripped down. And as Brian Monroe, I believe it was Brian Monroe. Uh, someone in the chat room, Furby's in the chat room said uh, it works great, but you need to get the version from their website, not from the Mac app store because the version from the website, because it's not subject to the app store restrictions comes with the background scanner as well. So instead of just doing on demand scanning, like you're doing here, especially for Alejandro where, uh, where, where he needs that, you know, to, to be compliant with whatever his company requires, uh, going and just going to go to their website and, and go grab the, uh, the, the version there. So, uh, and then that includes what's called clam XAV Sentry, which is the thing that the engine that runs in the background. So, ah, good one. Yeah. So yeah. two options, because the only thing I've noticed about that is that various virus scanning products that we've uh, encountered over the years, Dave, especially if they're doing, 
you know, which uh, what you're saying is a good suggestion, have active scanning. Uh, just note that that may uh, rear its ugly head. <laughs> well, you have to think about it, either, right? Either crashing or, you know, performance hit or something like that, because, I mean, it's sitting there watching all your, you know, file traffic, right? Right. That's the thing. And I've always said this about virus protection software is that it it is designed to get in your way. You that yeah. that is what you're desiring, right? Is that you have this installed and it is looking at everything before, hopefully before it gets to launch or before it gets to open and make sure that the file's okay. And that is going to uh, potentially slow things down. There's different ways of, of doing it and being more and less efficient about it. But in a general sense, it's getting in your way. So there you go. That's mm-hmm. that. Yeah. All right, John. It's time to bring the band in and uh, and make this thing work. So uh, feedback at MacGeekab.com is the address that you can send your questions, tips, comments, issues with Yosemite, all that good stuff. Send them in. We keep doing this. So you keep sending them in. We keep doing this. That's how it works. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm going to send mine in to feedback at MacGeekab.com. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com. You can also, as I mentioned earlier in the show, during the Squarespace spot, you can find us on Twitter. MacGeekGab is the show. John F. Braun is him. Dave Hamilton is me. Mac Observer is uh, is the headlines from TMO. Pilot Pete's one of those guys in the chat room who couldn't join us today. Um, you can f- call us. 206-666-GEEK, John. How is Keek on the phone? What do you do on the phone to make that work? I don't know. Okay. Tell Siri to dial it. Wow. There you go. If she, I wonder if she could. I wonder if she could. Oh, dial we got to try that out. Yeah, but yeah. I, yeah. I checked, but the numbers. So you gave us the letters. Yeah. I think the numbers are four, three, three, five. They are. What happens if uh, if we tell Siri? Let's quiet the music down here. Let's see if we can get Siri to Siri. Please dial 206-666-GEEK. Calling 206-666. Yeah, not so much. That's not so good. And then she says, sorry, Dave, I can't call 206-666. So, yeah, failure there, Siri. Failure. I think I tried with Siri recently. T- tell Siri that you love her. Uh, and we she want to do this right now. Uh, no, no. Okay. No, she, she gets weird about it sometimes. Okay. I'll do that in a private moment then. <laughs> All right. Uh, We have lots of uh, people to thank here, but most specifically, first of all, I want to thank thank you, John. Great show today. We have fun here. Uh, I want to thank all of you in the chat room at MacGeekGab.com slash stream. And of course, all of you listening uh, wherever you are at whatever time you're choosing to listen. uh, We certainly appreciate that. Michael Johnston, he is the one who converts this show to AAC and adds all those chapters and pictures and links. Thank you for doing that, Michael. Uh, he is the host of the iOS show podcast. So go check that out. Also the folks at cashfly C A C H E F L Y.com provide all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. Thanks to them. The podcast marketplace, as I mentioned, Squarespace, squarespace.com slash MGG with your coupon code of MGG to get 10% off of your first order. Barebones software at barebones.com just came out with a new BB edit this week. We'll talk about that soon. Smile at smilesoftware.com. Text expanded touch. Go get that new keyboard. Awesome. Gazelle, sell off your old stuff. Linda, L Y N D A.com slash MGG gets you seven days free there. 
And Drobo. Um, MGG 50 gets you 50 bucks off of Drobo Gen 3. So that's serious business right there. John, any, uh, any lingering thoughts you want to share before you head off to wherever it is you're heading off to? Um, hmm. Oh, yeah, of course. Well, I'm going to make sure that when I'm on the highway, on my way to wherever I'm going, that I don't get caught. Made up.